We're recording now. You, pro- you probably should have started recording about 10 seconds ago. You would have got like a nice sort of, um, there's like a little bit of dead air. And then, um, and then, and then what did you say? Reiki, you're shaved. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been a while. So I was, it was actually a spare of the moment thing. So I had an actually a, a sort of, um, I don't know, Sunday was a bit of a slow day and it was a spare of the moment decision. I, thought, I haven't seen my face in a while. I was sort of forgetting what it looked like. So, um, oh, well, what the heck? Off it well, goes. I haven't seen it for a while and, yeah. Also, I find <laughs> that with a bushy bed, it's a bit of a logistical hazard, say, if you're, like, having soup and things like that. Yeah. I am talking to Andrew, aren't I? Could be. <laughs> I'm not going to confirm with my if it's me or not. Well, you might know, but I'm not sure. Okay. Oh, well, anyway. Yeah, yeah, so. How are you going? Yeah, yeah, no, getting there. Yeah, yeah. no, um, just, yeah. Um, working, working, running, um, just, yeah, getting on stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You had some bad news. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so Archie passed away, which was, um, yeah, that wasn't too flash. No. Yeah. No, it's so, a bit of a shocker. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it was a bit of a bummer. So he had a bit of a crappy summer. He kept on getting um, unrelated leg injuries. So he wasn't allowed to... He wasn't um, allowed to, you know, be off lead or anything, and so it was a bit of a bummer for him. And then, and then he got this thing, and yeah, had to be put down. So, so was that related to the leg injuries? No, they are all unrelated. Really? Yeah, the the vet just said it was just a just a run of bad luck. Mm. Was it cancer in the end? No, well, it turned out it was. Um, it was like an abs, like the when he got when he went in for. Um, so he wasn't. So it started off. His problem started off with his left rear leg, and that was like a torn muscle ligament or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then on his when he did his and then when he did his front right leg, it was um, like the splayed toe thing. That's and then true. yeah, but this injury, it was um, he had sort of. What do you call it when you get like a arthritis from infection or arthritis? Yeah, something like that. But in, yeah, so that was it. But he had a bunch of they drained a bunch of fluid out of his out of his out of the joint and put him on antibiotics and stuff. But they gave him an X and at, at the time they gave him an X ray too, and that's when they saw the slump on his spleen. Uh, which they thought was cancer, so they wanted to give him some more tests and stuff, and um, and um, yeah. So anyway, he went in for the to get checked. They're going to check, open him up, and you know, check the lump out and stuff. And but what they found was it was an that that lump was actually an abscess, and I know, I think yeah, where it was. 
whether whether abscess actually was or whatever. Um, like the chances of success weren't great. Like mm. trying to operate on it, and so yeah, had and the yeah the vet, vet was recommending for him to the best thing for him would be to be put to sleep. So that's yeah, that's what happened. Mm. Yeah, so. Yeah, bit shit house. Bit shit house. How old is he? Was he? Oh, he was only like four and a half. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like way too, way too young. It's yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So no, that's a bit of a bummer. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, he did crush the cargo. He did, he did, which which means he had a satisfying life. He never bloody won, though. He always got cheated of his, you know, um, his scruff cheated him out of his victory last year. Yeah. Yeah, but, um, oh, well, never mind. That's not very fair. We, we yeah. could, um, we could uh, dedicate an award to him. We could do something like that. Yeah. So the canine award could be the Archie Award or something like that. Yeah, we could do something like that. Yeah. But yeah. We, um, can make, we can make lots of awards for people, famous people who have crushed the cargo and died. How many people have died post crush the cargo? You mean post since the actual event that isn't an event? Or just yeah, yeah. happening to run? You know that. You know, it's just sort of weird how that that one that one sort of twenty four hour period out of the whole year, some people just seem to weirdly congregate in the same kind of area to run up and down Mount Cargill as many times as they can. Yeah, yeah, it's really strange. Yeah, really spontaneous, just about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's almost like they have some sort of calling or something. There's some sort of um... You know, um, trees can communicate. Did you hear about that? But there's some sort of fungi. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, if you look into it, um, there's like this, um, there's this weird sort of fungal network that's like the size of North America or size of yeah. or something. Yeah, well, maybe yeah. that's what's happening and that's why people are congregating at Mount Cargill in December every year. Could be. Yeah. And maybe that network's called Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't know, wouldn't know about it. <laughs> well, anyway, you've been um, you've been a busy man. Yeah. Um, I understand you've interviewed somebody. Oh, um, well, I'm not allowed to say that because you don't know that yet. Because we're, you know, we're going to introduce the interview that hasn't happened yet, but it has. Well, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to assume that you've done an interview. Yeah. And <laughs> that's what that's what usually happens. There's usually yeah. an interview these days, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is. Yeah. Actually, say that. Like, how long has it been since we've done a done a? Uh, when was the last time we did a um, we did an episode and we had no interviews? It's about four weeks. So I think I think we need to do one next week. I was just thinking that because we could do a Northburn preview. Yeah. Because between the two of us, we have, you know, all this 100-mile experience. Yeah, yeah. And I, I bet all of our listeners would love to hear that. Yeah. Now, what's your fastest Northburn? 
Hold on, we do the North Burn preview next next week. Oh, I can, I can barely wait. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should get t- see what Terry's up to. We should. Well, that's a good idea too. Yeah. Hmm. But anyway, I I have I have been in touch, and ha- actually, you'll find out that I have interviewed um, Barefoot Ted. Oh yeah, how's that? Oh, it's going to be great to hear how old um, Barefoot Ted's been getting on. Old? He he's a he's a year older than me. Oh wow! Is, it, no, is he like? Wait, how far off your gold card are you? Is it sixty or sixty-five? Uh, I don't know, but we I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start using the bus way more. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I think I'll stop running to work when I've got a gold card. <laughs> well, you'll be able to get the bus back up Pine Hill when you're going home, you know, run down the bus back up. And the thing is, I could bike. I could bike to go, start biking to work again and put the bike on the bus for free. You could do that. That would be quite fun. Mm. But anyway, well, um, yeah, Barefoot Ted, what do you know about Barefoot Ted? Um, I, I know he was... Um, he was uh, one of the characters in, well, not characters. Is that the right word? Yeah, it is. One of the, one of the subjects in, in um, Born to Run. No, was it Born to Run? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, Born to Run. Yeah, yeah, of course. So there's, you know, like Gene Shelton and Scott Durick and um, some other guy and Barefoot Ted. Yeah. And um, old, old um, um, what's his name? Cabello Blanco. It's the one, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, uh, actually. They, they like, like Californians say Mexican Spanish like names as well right. as we, we do, like Tadeo, right? I was thinking it's like it rolls off their tongue, right? Oh, um, speaking of Tadeo rolling off your tongue, I, I, I read, <laughs> I read, I read. Uh, they're completely un- well, kind of un- unknown. I read there was something like there's been, well, I can't remember if it was like this year or all of last year. There's something like 20 complaints to the BSA about the use of Tereo in advertising and in, in advertisements of all those inquiries, of like those are inquiries, but two of them, pe- two people after speaking to somebody at the um, BSA. Went on to make formal complaints because Tadara was used. Yeah, how racist is that? <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, well, I found that shocking. Well, we should we should say, hey, I think we should complain because um, English was used in those same advertisements. Yeah. Oh well, should we report ourselves to the PSA? <laughs> Well, oh, we've, anyway, we've got three official languages in New Zealand. So why is oh, one so and we've never we've never done a sign language episode. I know. I was thinking that. Why why can't you have podcasts in sign language? Well, I suppose you could if you knew. Well, it'd have to be like a like a a video podcast, and you'd have to know sign language. Well, there's two issues. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, Yep, Ted Barefoot Ted was one of those people who went down to the Tarahumara. So he can say that really quickly. Like you don't Tarahumarans? know. Tarahumarans? Tarahumarans, yeah, yeah. Tarahumarans, Rara Murray. Who? 
Because well, they're Tahomarans, but they're originally called Raramuri. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's useful. Mm. And um, and and learn how to make huarachis. Yes, I made a pair. The sandals. Yep. Yeah. Um. Well, last lockdown, I made the head some um out of well, you know, we're all looking for things to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Had a lot of time on our hands when we were locked in our houses for like. A while, but um, yeah, I had an old rubber mat that I made the hirachis out of. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, the the rubber mat was like quite thick, and I think I was cutting it with I don't know. I'd like to say I'd like to say it wasn't a knife. I actually used like a saw, but it might have been a knife. And then um, and yeah, and I had I had no sort of like leather straps. So I had to use tied together boot laces. Yeah, actually, I didn't even. I don't need. I think I only need one boot lace per foot. So just like a normal pair of shoes. Yeah. But um. But yeah, they weren't great. I didn't have. Um. I could have had better rubber and leather straps would have helped. Oh, nice. Yeah, there we go. Lunar sandals. Yeah, I need to get a pair. Lunar so, sandals. So barefoot Ted runs the company. Oh, hashtag Luna. Yeah, yeah. He started the company. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, you know, like um. You, you know, like, you know, we, you know, when we go, you know, we've, how many times have we mentioned Aerodax and, 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 and how, and how much underwear have we got back from um, Raz? Yeah, well, we haven't actually mentioned Aerodax until just now. Aerodax. Hashtag Aerodax. Yeah, but we did, yeah. we have done quite well at, hash, at Aerodax. Yeah, well, we might have to do hashtag Luna now. Yeah, no, that's a good score. Um, Actually, um, yeah, we should have a shout out to all our sponsors. Hashtag um, Aerodex, um, hashtag Aerobic Edge, um, hashtag Inchbar, and Inchbar. Yeah, hashtag um, Good Coffee, hashtag Inchbar. Yep. Um, who else sponsors us? Oh, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lots of people are on the queue, but we're we're limited <laughs> to just the four. Hashtag, hashtag Scott Running Z. Come on. <laughs> chorus, chorus. Hashtag <laughs> chorus in Z. Have you got your chorus yet? Hey, have you got a yeah, chorus? I have, but you know, like I can't. You know, it's been so long. I can't find my charger. I know that's the problem, isn't it? They must do really well at second selling people chargers. <laughs> oh man, I think we're just going to have to make that joke every episode. I think. <laughs> Well, maybe we should go hashtag chorus charger because no one can find one. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. So you talk, so you talk, you yeah, thought, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's yeah. Good. yeah. Oh, well, good times. Can't wait to listen to that. So right. um, it's a thoroughly wild ride. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Excellent. So right. I'm looking forward to it. And next week, a Northburn preview. Next oh yeah, and um, should we do a shout out to um, our Patreon supporters? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank Have we got you. any yet? No. Oh. But, but just reminding people that we are on Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com and um, search for yeah. Crush the Cagle. You'll um, get exclusive content. Well... <laughs> You might not get exclusive content, but we will be grateful. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll get content. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And we will give a shout out to you. Yeah. Yep. Both. Oh. Yep. 
Okay. Oh, well. Cool. Until next time. Oh, yeah. Onwards. Onwards with the um, interview. Onwards. Incapable of telling the truth. And furthermore, when they made rules, they told me half the things they said I couldn't do or shouldn't do or the, the, the exact things I wanted to do. So, yeah, I'm a feral child. I hope you can deal with me. Please don't call the authorities yet. Uh, I don't think our, our authorities would respond. <laughs> no, if they had any brains in their head, they'd realize this is the kind of character you don't want to mess around with. Not because of any kind of danger, but because of a loquaciousness of speech that makes a, any kind of normal conversation seem very old-fashioned and almost unachievable. <laughs> so you're in California. You grew up in California, didn't you? That's right. Uh, the 70s... I remember 1970. Yep. Yep. So and it was like, whoa, like, I mean, like when TV, when they had the like 1970, you know, it was like, and you just knew for a fact that the best world possible was about to happen. And, you know, the calculation bit off, but that picture up there is me from 1971. My grandma drew it. And so I've had that kind of, that character and his vision looking out 50 years later, here we are. And you know what? Not too bad. I think it's pretty friggin' remarkable that I'm talking to you on the other side of the planet. We both can own this kind of incredible technology that allows us to play this game. And hopefully through our conversation, one poor schmuck somewhere on the planet will get a smile on their face. Now that wouldn't be too bad. <laughs> that would be pretty good. That would be pretty good. So did, did you run around a lot when you were in the 1970s? Uh, you know, very, very active kid, yeah. extremely active kid. Um, my, I grew up on a cul-de-sac, so we, we were just running wild and, um, you know, learning by, I loved all the non-adult organized. I mean, I did the organized sports too, yeah. but ultimately what what I finally really got into deeply because it was happening in California and it was part of the cultural wave I was on was the whole skateboarding. Skateboarding became huge and that became available for the daredevils and the people willing to, you know, uh, do what we did. And we immediately had this kind of attitude like, hey man, no one's ever done this before. We're doing it. Get out of the way. You know, like we're, you know, we, and half of those kids that became professionals and went on to, um, you know, kind of too early, got too much, didn't do too well. I somehow got, you know, contained enough that I was able to, you know, put it into what did I am now. But it was like, you know, some kids, probably if I had grown up a decade later, I would have been on Ritalin or some kind of therapy or, you know, or maybe in a bubble, who knows, you know, a bubble hat and a bubble costume, who knows. You'd probably be wearing a suit and tie. You remember family ties? This is possible too. This is possible too. <laughs> so, you know, I know you because of um, Born to Run and Luna Sandals, of which I, um, <laughs> I've got my um, leadable paces on my feet. I've got my originals in my hand. Oh, beautiful. Oh, wow. Yep, those are the originals Manuel made me. Look wow. at that. Look at that tire. We shopped around in a used tire. There wasn't much to choose, but look at that patina. Look at, it almost looks like wood. 
Yeah. It's so interesting. I think I'm going to have those like reduplicated someday. That's, but Lord have mercy. They're basically like the SUV of Warachi sandals. We picked, he literally picked like the heaviest, baddest, boldest, meanest, toughest, because most of the time, Tarumara, Rara Muri, tribal, traditional tribal members, their Warachi is a tool. And it's not just for running. It's for carrying things and climbing over things and lifting it, you know, rocking. It's portable ground. So what Manuel gave me for my first pair was like, I, he knew I could afford, I think it was four bucks, the used tire, you know, it was an insane price to be buying, you know, then you, by the way, you have to buy tire treads. They don't just fall out of the sky, yeah. you know, down in the middle of the can. So this little tienda, and there's that famous picture you've probably seen where Manuel's cutting me my first pair. It's kind of iconic. Yep. That's in front of the shop where yep. one of the materials for sale was a used tire, man. <laughs> it's like such an incredible... And so I really feel like that moment when I compare it to the skateboard surf culture I grew up in, which was, you know, already well advanced by the time I was coming on the scene. It was a whole booming, you know, my dream when I was a kid was I want to be a president of a surfboard company or a skateboard company, or I want to invent something or I want to like that. And then it turns out sandals are similar. It's a platform. It extends our range. It allows us to ride the big waves, you know, to move through the mountains freely. And, um, and it also reminds us, it keeps reminding us that usually the simplest tool that gets the job done well is the best. You may need other things at different mm -hmm. times, like that pair of sandals Manuel made me. He was like, he was expecting I was going to be, you know, carrying heavy loads on uh, hardcore trails, you know, for, and I would have the most comfortable vehicle of them all, right? It's like, it's the jacked up four wheel drive ready to go. But in the end, it's just a piece of portable ground. My foot on the top of that does what a foot does. Mm -hmm. And so I really got enamored with that. And I feel like almost like the original early surfers bringing this new concept to a new world, I got a chance to sort of like, Hey man, yeah, you can ride the 100 pound redwood surfboard. It's pretty awesome. This is the original. The Duke rides this one, but check it out. I've been playing with this and there's this new material over here. And you know, some people just don't have the time to wrap it like this and all my, and then suddenly, oh my God, you know, I have something to do and people who are expecting me to do it. And, you know, Tasmanian devil, like the character from the cartoons, I, uh, basically just harnessed all that energy and now we have a company that finally is getting its footing you know it's a, it's a big deal to throw out a, a footwear company in a time when nobody was you know 10 years ago there weren't very many running sandal opportunities on the market and i was playing my own role still as a very much as an amateur early on i'm not i wasn't you know an expert on anything other than self-experimentation and willing to go where the adults were saying, don't go there. <laughs> so, you know, at the end of the day, I get to have a conversation with you and, and many others uh, about our adventures in just self-experimentation and finding out how to explore the world and enjoy the process and maybe try to get healthier and happier at the same time and make the world a better place. I think it's a good kind of dance. I'm trying to get into it. How did, how did you get there? I mean, you know, Born to Run was what, 12, 15 years ago? 
that's a very, you know, the, it goes like this. It's literally 15 years ago Sunday that the first time I was down there for the original story that you read in Born to Run, yeah. that's 2006. The book finally comes out in 2009. And by the way, I just for the heck of it, the original, I got, the, it came out in May, 2009. Chris sent me the original in, in March. I got to write the original review and I read it and I'm like, this is a damn good book. But then I'm thinking, oh, uh, you know, maybe it's, uh, I have a bias. Perhaps I have a bias, you know? So, but I wrote the review anyway. I said, this is an incredible book. It's somewhere like on a blog archive or something. And uh, yeah, there was, I was like stunned. The original cover, you know, th this is the original cover, but this is a photo. Caballo Blanco was in this photo. He gets airbrushed out. It's weird. Really? Huh. <laughs> and then Chris wrote me something nice in there about oh, yada, yada, blah, 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 pioneer or whatever. But it, it was, it was, Steve, it was like, he, we knew we had had an incredible experience in 2006. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. It was, it was, and it, we were quite an interesting renegade group of people whom had never met until that weekend or, you know, that week in person, you know, we'd been writing and so forth. And, and, and what transpired was memorable. And indeed, some of us were back there in 2008, 2009, and then the book came out later in 2009. So the momentum and inertia of what happened there was already sealed and had already um, started influencing. And that, you know, the writing was on the wall, yeah. but the book itself became an instigator of uh, thought ab about what it means to be human for whole, all kinds of people who had never thought about it in that way. And I think the out outcome of that kind of thinking is mostly been, for people like me and many other people, it's improved their lives. It's extended yeah. their possibility. It's made it more interesting to be alive. I mean, when you, when you start realizing we do have some interesting superpowers in a sense. Yeah. And if we can tap into those, remember them, retrain them, it benefits us. There's no disadvantage to it. So, um, and then hearing that story from other people, I mean, you know, not everybody loves everything, obviously, but Born to Run is, is quite well loved all throughout the world. Translated, you know, I even have, uh, I've got one, I've been trying to collect some, I've got one from the Japanese version. It's pretty cool. You know, it goes, it reads backwards. That's kind of interesting. on that cover. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Look at that, man. Where it was brushed out. Right. That's right. It was, oh. dude, that was so weird to see. Yeah. That yeah. was weird to see because I knew that photo. So it was like, I, I, I forget. There's a backstory to it, whatever. Um, in, the end, in the end, that book, for me, and I, I, used to, I started saying when I read it, I was like, so good. I said, that's my quirky PhD thesis I never had to write. You know, that's what I, <laughs> that's what I would have done. And then in the end, my contribution, you know, trying to just keep that energy alive. It's almost like, you know, that was a, for, for the, the people who have been influenced by the book Born to Run, it's like we were down there trying to start a fire, you yeah. know, with some yeah. sticks and, and something started burning and we nursed it and nursed it. And now it's a conflagration and God only knows where it's going to go. But 
many positive things have come by people at least starting to play around, riff with the idea that probably certain behaviors, certain foods, certain movement patterns, certain things about what our ancestors did for innumerable numbers of years have positive consequences if we can readapt them into our modern life. That's, I think that's kind of one of the messages and about, I try to live that way. It's kind of about being aligned with nature really, isn't it? It's being aligned with the nature out there, but also the nature of the human body and how we're made, just working along with it rather than trying to fix it. I couldn't agree with you more. It's more, you know, it's more profound then we can string sentences together to make sense of it. it. And sometimes when we get too much in our head trying to figure it out, we're really trapped. Yeah. But the Gordian knot is just everyday experience in the now. And one thing beautiful about running is when you run well, and I love running barefoot or running minimal because it's also about having to be there now. Yeah. Having to be on that trail, having to be in tune with your body, having and and the ultra uh, some of the longer distance things. I'm not trying to beat myself up. I'm not interested in seeing how long I can suffer. I mean, that could be a very worthy and useful skill set. You know, if you uh, find yourself in a situation where you've been captured and they want to torture you endlessly. But the truth of the matter is I'm going to be, like I said earlier in this conversation, one who escapes on my own two feet and when you do the hundred milers, which I like to say is like living a, a lifetime in a day, like a hundred years in a day, what you really are, what I'm trying to do is learn how to extend, extend, extend that be here now, be here in the moment, be aware of what's happening to me, be aware of how I'm moving, be aware of how I feel, be aware and monitoring that in such a way that a hundred miles ends up becoming like, I mean, I wouldn't say a dance exactly, but far more celebratory than Sufferfest for me. Yeah. I'm not interested. I don't want to know how long I can suffer. I hope I never find out. <laughs> hey, I have a question. Coming back to the 100 milers, have you, have you run them in sandals? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. You know, I've, I've uh, all my early on, I was barefoot became very, a, a good solution for me when you look back on that background I just described of growing up in surf and skateboard culture, we don't have shoes, man. I mean, we get shoes. Once we get the faster wheels, we have to start wearing the shoes. We start wearing the Vans. That's a local brand. But before that, we were barefoot. And anytime and every time we could be barefoot was normal. My, um, I think in New Zealand too, my uh, teacher, I had Hang 10. It was a brand, California brand two golden feet. All my school clothes had two golden feet. What did the feet represent? Freedom, joy, nature, connection. You know, it's like the seventies, man. I'm telling you, California was too cool. <laughs> so what, when did you get into barefoot running then? Well, it really started, I, I, a bug had got put in my head when I was about 20 when I was, uh, I was attending a um, party where a son of a California senator was having a, his 40th birthday party. Yeah, and he was gonna run the LA Marathon. Or at, his party was after running the LA Marathon. And I thought, holy crap, a 40 year old can run a marathon? I kind of, 
I'd done a little in high school. I was, um, I didn't do um, the team sports, but for my physical education class, I took something that was, it was, I think we would do, we would go back and forth two days in the gym, three days on the track, two days on the track, three days in the gym. And basically it was unstructured. You know, we just, and I got used to, and, and by the way, back then in this running barefoot was common. Yeah. We, you know, you'd run barefoot. And if you didn't want to run on the track, run on the inside on the grass barefoot, it's easier, you know, no problem. And, and when people got shoes, I remember the first pair of shoes I got that was like somewhat legitimate, legitimate, it was Onitsuki Tigers. My coach was like, oh, those are pretty nice. And I got them like at a, you know, a discount shoe store or something, you know, where they'd been used or something, whatever. And I was like, yeah, these are, and they were just, you know, nothing. They just looked cool and had a thin bottom, you know, it was, that's about it. Yeah. So I, I had, I had some idea about just running and I, I, and, you know, the goal in that class was just to sort of try to keep move, moving during the entire class. We weren't very often doing any kind of like, we weren't track and field. We were just, it was lifetime fitness concepts, really. And I'm like super stoked. It turns out coach Langren was right. You know, he had some good ideas. So that when, but the, my 40th year was approaching after I'd seen this guy do a marathon, I thought, okay, if he can do it, I got some time. I'm going to figure this out. And when I get close to 40 or when I turn 40, I should be as good as that guy. Come on. The time was approaching. Things weren't so good. I was trying to go out there. And what I'd always been discovering is that I would stop running, not because I had run out of juice, but rather I just couldn't take the beating anymore. And I was like thinking, these guys must like take painkillers or something. What are they, or, or they must have some incredible shoe or something's going on. So in the book, Born to Run covers it a little. I tried to like improvise and I got me a pair of some, something called Kango jumps that have leaf springs in a boot. And I thought, and they were new and they just, and I thought, okay, Barefoot Ted's gonna use technology and he's just gonna tigger like hop past all these schmucks and their crappy little shoes. And I'm gonna show him, you know, I spinal tapped it to 11. Well, it turns out it really didn't help. It actually, it was counterintuitive. And I was feeling kind of, it was weird. I was like, it was just like, and they, they busted on top of that. So I thankfully got my money back. That being said, I was about ready to just give up on that. I, I just really didn't, I just figured it's not for me, but I'd been barefoot, as I've said, and I sort of heard and out of the corner of my eye, hither and thither seen, heard something about barefoot would be right. And I think I tried it a few times and I was like, no, nah, that doesn't feel right. But then I found uh, Barefoot Ken's uh, website. He was a, he was a guy that had figured it out for himself created a website, I think it was called Barefoot Running or runningbarefoot.com. And he had started and had already been for years sort of being a lone voice that was slowly but surely pulling together sources from all over the place that was starting to make a legitimate argument that you might consider that the mechanics of your foot have some significant value that you might be completely throwing the baby out with the bathwater if you don't examine that first and naturally from the culture i just described what i'm from that was coming on good you know I, that sounded pretty good to me two things i was poor so i didn't have to buy any shoes secondly i could start practicing immediately <laughs> it was like it was fabulous 
so it, I really did have one of those epiphanal kind of experiences where one and, and the and the secret sauce was kind of Ken Ken had sort of written out a little bit of a this he called it ball heel ball more more landing on the ball of your foot he was that was the message he was trying to get across mm. and I realized that's not what I had been doing with particularly with and once I started dialing it back in and running barefoot allowed me to do that it was pretty much like an aha moment man it was like oh yeah I can see how I can begin to build and extend this feeling rather than how long can I endure that feeling? It was more long. How can I build, build, build this feeling? And so that's when I got on the, the, um, and I decided that, you know, I would go ahead. It, it was clear to me. It was, if, if it was really happening to me the way it was, and it was, then it was undoubtedly going to become something that other people were going to benefit from. And it was just, the beginning of the era, you know, when you could write a blog or share a story. And um, I, I had a proclivity to do things like that anyway. So I started doing it and, and joining uh, the, a forum that Ken had created and started, you know, getting some feedback and started, it joined, uh, uh, it turned out there was an incredibly great um, uh, and um, accepting running community in my little area of, of uh, Los Angeles called the Wild Mountain Runners mostly Mexican-American and Mexican runners who were, it was, it was a much, it was, I mean, it had a little bit more, this is almost like akin to boxing in the sense that running is pure. Look, here's the trail or here's the course. Every Tom, Dick and Harry who can start, there's nothing holding anyone back from demonstrating their capacity to achieve on the, it's a, it's a very fair playing field. And those kind of guys were, they were, they took their stuff seriously. And here I'm the, like the odd man out, a barefoot gringo shows up, you know, and they're running on trails. And I'm just like, hey man, I'm gonna learn from these guys. I'm gonna do whatever it takes. And I built respect, I mean, whether that because they just figured this, we're not gonna be able to get rid of this guy or holy crap, this guy's, you know, wow, he's got, and it turns out the uh, founder of the club, Freddie Perez, had some Tarumata blood in him and definitely uh, took a liking to me and uh, really, really played an important role of helping me you basically use that club and their seriousness about running and about marathoning to help me quickly, much more quickly than would nor normally be, you know, I think, yeah, I, I always kind of was troubled in some degree. I was defending my ability to run barefoot, not specifically because I felt everyone should do this, but it was more in an effort to make sure they don't uh, shun me away from the playing field. You know, it, was, it wasn't about like, everybody's got to do this. I could give a crap. If you like doing whatever you're doing, that's great. It wasn't working for me. This story, yada, yada, human beings, and, yada, and, and then my own background, it's working for me. And it's terrible when people have a situation where it works for them, whatever it is, but somehow, for some reason, the authoritarian figures and the people who tell you what you got to buy and what you got to take and yada, they say, no, that doesn't work. And it's like, eh. <laughs> who wants to hear that kind of mumbo jumbo? Uh, no way. No, thank you. So it worked for me. And ultimately, I think it's worked for a lot of people. But we also know it's not a friggin nothing in life is a cure all. Yeah. These are all we all have to tune our own instrument. You know, I mean, 
if if somebody else could tune you up, I mean, then you wouldn't have to be you. <laughs> well, that's, so that's I figured it out, wasn't it? Because I mean, I think I think the barefoot movement got into trouble because people thought, oh, they're saying this is good for everyone, and everyone trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Look, man, everything. You know, I would get yeah. Sometimes after it got late later on in its in its stages i would you know i'd be finding myself i was getting invited every hither everywhere and hither and thither to tell my story and it was you know the many of the people inviting me including to new zealand and australia and all over were uh, at that time let's say in the in the uh, early 2000 you know 2009 and in that early period when the book came out people would say um don't you know, uh, people are getting injured now by, uh, you know, going barefoot or yada. And I said, if injury was the thing that we were talking about here, yeah, people have been getting injured because they, because what is it? I mean, th this is getting injured. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just made the point exactly like I'm making here. I have no idea if this is going to work for you, whoever you are, but yeah. you'd be a damn fool not to take a look at this and think about this and play around with this idea because based on the fact that you're probably listening to this, you're a human with two feet and maybe, just maybe, you will find that taking your shoes off might be the thing that gives you another insight about movement. And that's what it did for me, by the way. I don't think it was like, there was no way I could feel the efficiency of what that ball heel ball was feeling like. Yeah. And, the, and that cadence, it's like, once you feel that, if you can get what it turns out, here's the thing that I didn't know. It really does kind of require a person who's put in their body, you know, they, they are able to be all together in their body. They can't just be a floppy hot mamsy pamsy running where nothing, there's no core. There's no, it, I think that just throws everything off. But if you're really in your body and you're really tuned into the feeling of movement, when you can get into that sweet spot, well, come on, man, that's old software and old hardware working well together. Come on, man. It's the main feature of human beings. If they can't do that, yeah. they're done yeah you're finished so yeah. we can do it most of us can yeah so when you talk about you know you talk about overall health and wellness is that kind of what you mean you know finding finding your own place in your own body and uh in a whole kind of way i think that's it i think that's our birthright i think without having to sign any paperwork or get any permission from anybody we have this incredible mind and body that belongs to us and is ours. It's one of the most unique and valuable things we'll ever confront. And if we don't take care of it and find a way to tune it and play it so that it makes us happy and at least doesn't drive the people around us crazy, then we have um, something that we can accomplish. Yeah. And um, I, that's what I loved about barefoot running and some of the other things like you know, going outside and witnessing nature or, you know, feeling the sun on your skin or jumping in the ocean. I mean, some of these primal experiences that have been with us from the beginning have such a valuable contribute. They're, they're like tonics. And um, the more time I think that we can spend in nature in this communion in this way that I'm describing, it's almost like you get bonus points so much of the uh, suffering that we uh, experience in the modern world is because we're disconnected from that so much of the time from our food, from our environments, from, and um, however, I do believe as if, if every day, if you just get 
some time outdoors where you're breathing and moving and touching the earth and seeing the sky, the sunset, the sunrise, whatever. It's one of the best medicines ever known to mankind and it's free, yeah. thus a problem. <laughs> yep. Well, that is a problem. I mean, how do we sell it? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it turns out nation states and multi-corporations, uh, you know, corporations, they kind of need markets. And you understand that, but it sucks when they start selling crappy stuff that they know is crappy and then they promote it even more to make up for the loss of all the crappy stuff they've already sold and done. I mean, <laughs> it's a tra crazy merry-go-round those guys are on. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, um, you started Luna Sandals after, born, after meeting Manuel, Manuel Luna? Yes, it's like that. I'd been, you know, one of the things that I uh, really got inspired with, and it's why I ended up being in the canyons. I started really, once I understood barefoot, you know, started riffing on this idea of, oh my gosh, you know, we've got this incredible capacity and this is sort of like a, a human trait that we should tap into. Then I started thinking, oh my gosh, when it comes to footwear, probably the best thing to do would be to sort of examine what's the natural selection of footwear in human cultures. What have they done? People who literally survive whether or not it's good stuff. And that's when I started realizing and noticing that the simple sandal is like, every, you know, back to the so many, um, there was a book called, uh, and I got to become friends with the author. Um, he's since passed. It's called The Survival Skills of Native Californians. And he makes this in the in the forward to that book, he makes an incredibly powerful argument about the toolkits of different indigenous peoples all over the world. They basically learn how to make everything they need from things that are at hand. And it's very, there, there's some shared characteristics all over the place. And the simple sandals in there are one of the kind of like things that you'll find, um, you know, the barefoot's best if you don't need it, anything else. But ultimately there's times when you start needing something and a sandal, that piece of portable ground can radically extend range or, or, or increase safety or give you a new stealth or a new ability to go through brambles or move at night in places where you normally, you know, all these kind of, these are, these are our early ancestors, you know, uh, engineering through just touch and feel the things that end up helping them have a little bit of an edge, go a little bit further survive another night and dream, pray, imagine that somewhere in the distant future, something connected to their, uh, you know, various uh, um, fertility rituals, we're gonna eventually be a bunch of bald headed freaks who talk through the uh, shiny mirrors on, on wooden tables. <laughs> <laughs> then here we are. The, the firelight is now trapped in pixels and, and we're, uh, we're being able to do what they dreamed of and told stories as if the gods were visiting here, we get to play the role for them today. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> You've got Barefoot Ted on, on, on your podcast well, today. Yeah. So do you, uh, do you still um, have much to do with Manuel? Oh my gosh. The So yes, and Manuel is, that's a great story. So the only reason I'm not down there right now is because this year the race which is now known as the Caballo Blanco or the Ultra Caballo Blanco did not happen. Yeah. It was uh, uh, essentially, it will be, there's gonna be something later in the month and there's, uh, we're supporting some 
some smaller celebrations and some rahipuris and some other things that are going on down there through an organization that I'm part of called True Messages, truemessages.org. It's a it's a uh, nonprofit finally that's been going that I'm an advisor on. Truemessages.org is helping um, sort of vet and sponsor different kind of events down in the canyons. What one of the most incredible ways to um, uh, both benefit yourself and the community down in the canyons is get down there. There's no reason anymore to not visit the Copper Canyon. I mean, McDougal's book makes it sound like there's a sniper <laughs> uh, locked on you everywhere you're going. And, you know, he was, during the drought and during the drug war, you know, if there's a drug war, i.e. there's two gangs and they don't like each other and the border runs through the town you have to happen to be going to, well, even though they have no interest in you, matter of fact, usually bad guys in the bad guy world who mess with a gringo or anybody, that's bad because that gets authorities interested in what's going on over there. They don't like that. So they, but if they're fighting each other and you happen to be nearby and some of the fighting tools they use are like AK-47s and things like that, it could be a problem. So there have been, that's been a problem, the drug um, using the Copper Canyons as a place to grow the marijuana and grow the poppies was popular with those kind of guys. That's drying up, you know, they grow, you know, marijuana is legal in California, most of the United States now. Yep. Um, uh, they're, they're making um, uh, fentanyl out of wheat in Tijuana now, they don't need to grow poppies. So that part has, it's both good and bad. I mean, there was some mm -hmm. benefits to the illegal trade. It was giving some jobs, but it was also, you know, you get this, it's illegal and it's bad people running it. It wasn't good. There was murders and things like that. You know, Manuel lost one of the first things we learned on the first trip in 2006 was Manuel's Luna's son had one of his sons had been murdered. Oh, wow. You know, it was crazy. There was stuff like that. Yeah. So I've been developing, I've been going. So my, my, uh, one of the ways I've applied myself in trying to carry sort of the circle of karima. They, it's a word in Raramudi mean karima, like a sharing circle. And getting people to, and being part of the sort of celebratory um, event that's been happening since 2000, well, before 2006, but that became sort of ingrained in several of us very powerfully in 2006 that ultimately became you know, reach the imaginations of millions of people all over the world, that race and that event has at one and the same time grown and also sort of brought a, uh, a palpable benefit to the community. Like it's, it turns out that in March, it's normally the driest time of the year. And then during drought years, it's even drier, yada, yada. It's not the season when uh, tourists are coming. It's uh, so that was Caballo had created the race at that time for that reason to try to get some people down there during the hardest time of the year to bring some, um, you know, some good cheer and uh, a little bit of um, economy, let's say, and have a reason to celebrate. And um, continuing that tradition has been the one one of the um, 
things that I've sort of felt like a torchbearer. I'm starting to realize like, okay, that's been important. That's been important. And I've been able to witness really remarkable um, uh, building up by basically for the last 15 years, taking a little spaceship, going down there, landing, kind of getting out, milling about, having, and then, and it was only a few years ago that I started going more. Like I, I, I started realizing, okay, there, there needs to be other things. And I got invited and now I'm, I'm part of trying to help promote. And this is, I'm getting to the answer to your question, but I'm trying to, you know, it's a long dance to get there. And, uh, so it, one, of the, one of my responsibilities and my hopes is to just continue to keep people going down there and having these enriching experience, experiences and getting a chance to meet and see some of the people they've got to know through the book Born to Run on their own turf where they're your host, where they um, get to um, celebrate the remarkable land they live in with you. And that they, you know, it was... Uh, it was a convert. It was a um, speech that um, uh, Arnofo gave several years ago at the Born to Run Ultra Marathon that we often have Manuel and other people coming up here. Actually, that's one of the things we did several years ago. We hired a lawyer and got Manuel a a, a passport and got him a visa and, and and Arnolfo and others and 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 brought them up and had him. Uh, one of the things that we were doing at that time. And one of the favorite things that I, I've been able to, you know, the concept, teach a man to fish, teach a man how to fish kind of concept. We, uh, at different events, periodically, we have Manuel Luna. Uh, I was surprised he wanted to do it, but he is, he's, he has definitely got the skills for it. And I'd love to see him do it more if he wants to into the future. He's one hell of a sandal dude, man. He, we set him up with a little shop and supplies and leather and, and, and foot forms. And he'll, he, he, he will make the equivalent of a half year salary or more in a day, just making sandals with a big smile on his face the whole time. Yeah. And um, uh, I want to do more like, but the next thing is through this true messages and some of the things that are going on down there also coppercanyons.com is connected to true messages and some of the events that they're the eco type tourism things but yeah you're gonna someday i mean they're getting ready to launch it later this month they have finally got um the um title to caballo's old um what they call his stable over in a town called bato pilas now in the early days we would go from bato pilas over to urique then after a couple of years of doing that, it got stopped in like 2009 because I don't know, some guy with an AK-47 was, no, was sort of patrolling that trail and yeah. it turned out we can't do that anymore. And that was what you, if you did that trail, you'd be a Mas Loco. And I, you know, at this point, not a lot of people have been able to become Mas Locos because they haven't been doing that trail, but it's opening up again, partly because of um, Arnulfo, who's um, very much, you know, these guys are like, semi-superstar and at the same time very much part of their rooted in their own tradition they're mm -hmm. they're fine they're finding that dance of being able to explore um interacting with outsiders and people from other cultures not from a prostate um we're not worthy and you guys are so great but rather more like as co-equals and sort of like you know picking and choosing what they like and, and leaving, you know, leaving what they don't. 
And, you know, for example, our Nova has an iPhone and, he, you know, the, the, it's like, what can I say? They're, they're like living in a very different world. And of course, those of us who go down there are doing the same. And I think that ultimately the, the benefit is palpable in the sense that there's more security for everybody down there, particularly those who choose to and are capable of living traditionally still. It is not easy. The yeah. people who are doing that, the reason they're doing that, you know, it's not all, you know, one side you could say they're just so poor they don't have a choice. No, there's another level lower and that's when you're a Raramuri or Tarumara and you have to go into the city, let's say, and you don't want to. Of course, if you want to, that's a different thing. I mean, whatever they want to do in anyone else, that's a great thing. But people like Manuel, for example, when we were doing his passport, we suddenly found out, wow, he's got He's got quite a, you know, he's got a bunch of different little ranchitos that you've got to, you know, you got to get to, you know, if you have water and land and sunlight, you're kind of doing pretty well. It's when one of those things break down yeah. now by being part of the modern world in some way, by having some, another little uh, stream that you can bring in because of something you can do differently or some, you know, some new group you can interact with and that's what's going to be happening and the reason i'm continuing to talk on this topic is because all of this is just starting to i mean i'm literally getting ready we're getting ready to send out a newsletter and getting ready to um share some news about a really cool program that developed in the raramuri community itself um, over the last decade which is being driven by a, um, a, a respected, what they call governors. There's like a hundred different governors in the various ranchitos all throughout the, uh, throughout the Copper Canyons. And this one guy has come up with, it's called the, in English, it's the Busuliami Cultural Education Program. And what this guy is, to, because of a UN um, uh, mandate to try to make sure indigenous peoples have the rights to teach their own culture, teach their own language within the you know, um, uh, curriculum and within the uh, mandatory structures of education, this guy and a group of people with this Basuliami, which means inner awakening, has started a pro process of creating that curriculum, creating classroom activities, creating ways to like extend, to, particularly to the non-traditional Raramuni so that they have a deeper insight, but also even to the traditional ones so that they start having a curriculum and a, and a reason to be have some kind of pride about their own language and culture. And furthermore, all the other kids get to learn it too. And eventually other kids somewhere else, there will be kindergartners in Sweden someday, probably taking some classes in Raramuri, who knows? So that's getting ready to, I'm getting ready to play play a formal role in trying to, now that I've learned about the program and I'm fascinated by it and I, it like, it, it touches on something I've always, I've been always like waiting for the thing that I knew rather than like, hey, I've got some great idea. I was like, what can I do? I, I don't really know what to do. I, I'm sure you guys probably know a lot better. And this is one of the, they know a lot better. And now I just wanna make sure that they can, that the organization itself can continue to make sure that they can do the things they want to do by ultimately pretty lightweight fundraising. But that's going to be one of my um, my new hats oh, wow. as yeah. a advisor on the 
True Messages Board promoting or sharing the Basuraliami Cultural Education Program. Nice. There you have it. Nice. And Manuel Luna will be one of the characters, one of the teachers who will, of course, ultimately be continuing the tradition of making sure every kid gets to learn how to make, you know, make sure that sandal making uh, history doesn't go away. Yeah. And Luna Sandals and Barefoot Ted gets to play the role. One of my things that I'm famous for down in the canyons is every year I go down, I bring some of the best leather lace that anybody's ever seen and Ooh. with different colors that normally people can't get. So the people who have the, who are the cooler guys, who have the good connections, they have like yellow and green leather sometimes. And that's pretty cool. That's the bling down there, man. Yeah, <laughs> I guess, I mean, you know, one of the one of the concerns, I guess, what you've, you've mentioned is development being done from the top, you know, the white people going into the, to the poor people and saying you should um, grow up this way. And you're talking about a very much a partnership model with where, in a sense, it's, it's encouraging those people to be at home in their own skin, just like we are in our body, but in their own cultural skin. Yeah, well, I don't think white people are feeling too, in, 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 you know, that, that's, I mean, I think everybody, everybody needs to find some way back to the place where they are no longer feeling like there's some kind of, um, you know, when you get back into your body, for example, and you start recognizing your connection with all of humanity in this incredible pageant that's been going on, that's where we are all one. It's just, we're all, but there's all these different contexts yeah. And the people who have been able to, at least in one way or another, within a generation, still preserve a kind of um, life that is not conscribed, you know, that hasn't been sort of like created by experts managing for either state or corporate um, sponsors. <laughs> um, there's something endearing to that because it's, it, it looks and smells like it's realer than the stuff that comes out when it gets too rarefied and too, you know, and particularly the top down look and the way that's all gone, we all know that's been a wreck. And, and furthermore in the end, and that's why um, I'm really like a proponent, run free is one of the, the concept there is like, you've got to let people alone to sort of in a more decentralized way figure it out in their own little communities. There's no top down. It's just like, we don't want to be like playing the role of we've seen all over the place all the time. Hey, we're so smart and great. And you guys do what we're saying. It's like, screw that kind of behavior anywhere and everywhere, not just for them, but for us too. We've been hammered and we've been forced to take this medicine or to eat this food or this, you know, it's the same deal. And we, so we get to play a role in like, hey, here's how we, you know, ultimately it's the, you know, love your neighbor like you love yourself. I mean, I don't want some knucklehead who doesn't really know who I am telling me what I got to do and what's right or wrong. I think I can figure that out in my neighborhood. Yeah. And those people, the Tarumana, they can do it. They're doing it just great. Sometimes they have little problems, yes. And that'll be great if we can be helpful in, during those times. Yeah. But we don't have a better message for them. Yeah. Their message comes from their their relationships, their ancestors, their stories, and those things are rich. And the ones that have preserved them have been the ones who are, they're like the heroes. Manuel Luna is one of those heroes. He went out into the modern world back in the 90s 
because there was drought going on. He was one of the, he went two times down to Leadville. He came in fifth one year and 10th another. Some other Robert Moody's were winning, but he was down there. He's like one of our heroes. We're sending him to Mars to like, there's an alien race there that'll give you some food that you can bring back. You know, who he had no idea what it was like to go out there, but he had the courage and the capability of doing it. And I've been building this kind of relationship with this guy over time. He, we're the same age, basically. And it's like, but I'm going slow, you know? It's yeah. like, it's like I don't have any, I'm, I'm not in any rush to get anywhere too quickly. I mean, 15 years is getting to be a long time, but, who, you know, we might be around for another 20, 30, 40, yeah. who knows? So I say keep the dance going, grow slow, but be strong. Does he still run Leadville? Well, he hasn't been back to Leadville yeah. and I don't, you know, he does the race down there. He does that every year. Yeah. I'm not, per, you know, to these big races and these longer events and things like that. I like to think of them as big wave surfing. Yeah. And um, it's exhilarating to be fit enough to ride big waves. Yeah. No, there's uh, it, it's no joke. If you can do it, it takes stamina, strength, uh, regenerative, you know, the, the ability to survive uh, tremendous forces and all the rest. But I don't want to friggin' ride big waves every day. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I don't want to even ride, want to ride. So uh, at some point, more and more and more, I, I, I kind of regretted that. Early on, Caballo wanted like, let's send them out and have them race and do this and that. It's like, hold on, man. That's why I like this. Let, they kind of, it's like, they can come out. It's great. That's wonderful. But they've got their whole world down there. It's almost like getting them to come out to do something hither and thither and sort of like have to race, compete and all this. Trust me, I don't really, when I look at that uh, compared to some of the other options other people might have and they in particular, I don't know. It's not for me to decide, but I've never been excited about like trying to get these older guys and kind of try to make them go and run until they're dropped. I mean, if they want to do, they can do whatever they want. Yeah. I'm not even, I, I don't even want to, I don't, I don't want to encourage them to do anything unless something they want to do and I can and help in some way. Then I'm, then I'm more interested, but I don't, I don't know. We were talking about it, by the way. It's funny you mentioned that. I've been trying to see if he would like to go. And I've been trying to see if I can get the race directors there, you know, and now it's such a popular race. There's a lottery and everything. And I got in the other day and I was like, holy shit, now I got to start training. <laughs> But yeah, I think, I think, you know, one of these days he's going to go back there yeah. and, um, uh, and, and um, maybe you'll be there when that happens. How's that sound? That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Are you ever going to go there and give it a try? Oh, I don't know. I, there's so much to do and see in New Zealand, you know, um, <sighs> I love it. No doubt about it. I mean, yeah. man, you know, you, you, you found yourself in a wonderland. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You've been, you visited, didn't you? I've been here a couple times. It's a, I mean, uh, the last time I was there, I picked up a shell on the beach in Auckland and gave it to my wife before I picked it up in the sense of the time. Right. <laughs> that's one of, yeah. somehow I picked it up and I got home and gave it to her before I actually, the time and the same day, the day before that I picked it up or something like that. So it's kind of a magical shell. I happened to look at it yesterday and remembered it now. There you have it. Well, Maybe I, I could be wrong on my calculations. Believe me, when it comes to calculating, I usually get the number I want and not the right, correct one. 
I'm talking to you yesterday, so I'm not sure how that works. Uh, yeah. I'm Tuesday at 5.54 p.m. right now. What time yeah. are you there? We're at Wednesday, 2.54. Two, Wednesday, 2.54. So yeah. I got on a plane at Wednesday at 3.54 and before three, uh, and picked up the shell at 3 o'clock and got to uh, L.A. before I picked up the shell. Ooh. That's pretty good. That's awesome. Yeah. Doesn't happen every day, man. It, you you got to be a barefoot Ted to think of things like that. That's that little clown up there still operating the equipment. Now, how how old is that picture of you? He's six, six. six. Yep. So you and I like are seven. seven. It's like nineteen seventy-one. We are the same age, crikey. Nineteen sixty-four. Oh, sixty-five. Okay. Yep. Pretty well, you little brother. Let me tell you how it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, give me all your wisdom. <laughs> hey, by the way, are you in a classroom right now? Um, I am actually in an office at work. I sneak okay. out of my main office into a spare office. But oh, right on, right on. It does. Well, dude, I've been, you know, I went and watched a few of your podcasts. Of course, I had to go watch the one with Christopher McDougall. Naturally, I had to see what the hell was up with. You know, we often we're often back and forth on similar podcasts and yeah. and have maintained a quite an you know yeah. obviously we've shared the same ride we got into the same you know the roller coaster click 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 clacked up and then we kind of been shooting down of course he's done all kinds of other things yeah. but yeah. The, the, we definitely share literally the ride of born to run and believe me when you share something like that you kind of remember <laughs> Yeah, that, that podcast, unfortunately, wouldn't have the best sound. I think they had a, a virus in Pennsylvania at the time. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, I, I do recall it was a little bit. Um, I, well, um, McDougall will never claim to be like a technical top. You know, he he kind of like resisted even texting for the longest time and also makes every effort to avoid um, capital letters of any kind. Uh, my, my highlight of the episode was hearing Sherman in the background, actually. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. I've been over to his place. Now, he lives in Hawaii now, by the way. He's moved since then. Does he? Yeah. Well, he yeah. Might, he might it was, it was fast and furious. They, his wife is from there, so they had been looking and thinking, and when things started happening, uh, it, I guess, you know, just the opportunities, and yeah, he's, he's, that all changed, like, like just like that. Wow. So actually, back, back to about the same time, we were contacting you and you were in lockdown in Seattle doing a, a uh, was it a 100-day sandal-making marathon or something? That's right. It's been an interesting time. And, um, and, it, it, and, and it turns out that so many of the things that I've learned about uh, resiliency, fitness, um, pacing yourself, you know, so much of long distance running, if you want to do it, is about taking care of yourself. Um, I mean, if you want to do it the way I'm describing, right? It's about um, uh, doing it in such a way that you, you know, you don't have to suffer more than necessary. And, um, you know, uh, the 100 the milers are taught me a lot about just um, how, you know, when it, by keeping a good attitude, you can get through certain areas that are, you know, can be pretty devastating. There are hard times, obviously. Some of the other things that you better feel good at 50 if you want to make it to 100, <laughs> things like this. So, you know, naturally the whole world uh, had a, 
you know, was involved in a hit and run and a very tough one. And it's been a tough year. And it became particularly tough, as you described, when Seattle went on a lockdown. And basically, um, our shop, uh, which was running on fumes because of some decisions we'd made to stop our wholesale production, cut our team down because we were losing. In 2019, we'd grown quite a bit. But it turns out the wholesale accounts we had created and we were growing in Asia and other places and we want to grow. I mean, if, if we could if we could do it successfully, profitably, basically making sure you you have more marbles than you started with. <laughs> and we didn't. And so we were like in a very, very tight situation where we were running on fumes and we were going to getting ready to have the spring come. And when COVID hit, we lost our team uh, and we needed we needed them and um, we could it was quite severe uh, in Seattle. And so Liv and I jumped, we somehow got on a plane and we got there and we, we hunkered down in the factory and lived in it. We were ready to go a hundred days and it turns out we went 60 days and it went, it was uh, basically things started breaking for us and we got some new, some other people to come back and then we got our, so it was, we were able to pull it off 60 days and then um, again, I was there from December uh, until January 15th. We went and took our whole assembly thing that we had built over the course of almost 10 years in our little factory in Seattle. And we moved it to another town in the Eastern, on the Eastern Cascades called Wenatchee. Um, Wenatchee back at you is my uh, slogan for that. You know, Wenatchee, Wenatchee back at you. And it's incredible. We we basically, I like to say we're like surfers making surfboards. And I really, it is when you when you dial in the craft or the recipe or the the process, and you get it honed and honed, and you have the right tools and you have the right materials and you have the right. It's a joy. It really is fun. I mean, doing it twenty four seven, seven days a week, and so forth. That's not for everybody, but I was having fun because we were getting stuff done and we were keeping the ship going and we weren't going to go down. And it it was awesome. It was totally awesome. And then moving the factory, that's been, that was awesome. Our new factory, it's like all the best of, and on top of it, and this is where it gets exciting is we knew we were, I mean, I've always resisted, resisted, resisted from the, right from the beginning. You've got to go to here or there. You got to, I was like, no, I really, you know, I'm part of this tradition. Surfers making surfboards grew up in Southern California. I want, I need to have my hands in it. We need to be, you know, um, um, uh, designing with the feeling as part of the thing that we're trying to do. It's not just like a design. It's like, there's elements of feel whether we get it right i mean it's constantly and we're in a process but nonetheless feeling is important and knowing how to achieve that feel is important well i'll start the next sentence by saying we mated the panda and what i mean by that is our japanese distributor who also is the ultra distributor in japan and had has developed a pretty uh, successful um, distribution business in Japan for sporting goods and has some running shops and things like that. He also had worked um, with Ultra to develop some OEM Ultras for the Japanese market, some special, um, more branded for their for their market, and had developed a relationship with a third generation, privately owned Japanese footwear manufacturing family, 
who happened to be that fan, that the president of that company, a fan of Barefoot Ted, knew about Luna Sandals and understood that we were having trouble scaling primarily to reach the Asian market. That you know, Asia, Japan, Thailand, uh, Taiwan, China, you know, all these places. Sandals make a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, you don't need a shoe if it's friggin' 80 degrees outside. I mean, what good is it going to do other just to grow mold? Yeah. So we were growing in that market and other people too, but we couldn't make any money because we couldn't sell the sandals at the price that were necessary to meet, you know, all that kind of stuff. So he made a, a suggestion that this company could help us achieve that by making sandals overseas and growing maybe our most popular designs. And I was like, you don't understand. There's how are they going to be able to, you know, do what we do? It's just, there's so, it's so weird. It's a weird, weird recipes done, you know, by people that didn't start understand, you know, we just like, we were just figuring it out as we went along and we weren't sure if we could get anybody else to do exactly what we'd done. Well, over the course of the same year, while I'm at the shop half the time working over there and then moving the shop again, we literally went through zero to 100 and got these folks in a Japanese run. And the Japanese are very quality focused. It's a Japanese run factory in Vietnam. So it's like we are able to finally scale our product. They're doing a mind-boggling good job. I haven't been able to visit directly there yet because of the things that, but we do, we do this Zoom stuff all the time. I'll have, we'll have one guy in Hong Kong who's a supply guy for this Japanese company. And we'll have the guy in Osaka who's um, the, you know, logistics guy. And we'll have people in the factory in Hong Kong and who are like fiddling with this and we'll be all there and we, we did it, man. And so I'm super stoked about that because it finally means I'm kind of getting in a stride now where I have the resources, the, the, the tools, the people to be able to come up with things that I can, you know, that I really believe in, that I can reach a wider market without, you know, without wasting my everybody's time. Yeah. And also, and this is another part of my dream is I have always been, I lived in Japan for five years. So I, and I studied Japanese and I was fascinated by that culture. And I, when I lived there, footwear is very much part of their culture from sandals and, and shoes. And there's a, the tabby booties and tabby shoes are very interesting, great history, you know, basically the thumb type shoe. And I've always wanted to find a way to make something that can be what I would consider an ideal footwear for the times when you need something like that. And I think I have now the team, the people, the expertise. And it's once again, it's not, you just don't put a toe on something and hey, there you go. The Japanese, particularly companies like this one and others, they've been tinkering like back to the surfers making surfboards such that it has certain kind of characteristics and feel that there's a kind of know-how there that now I'm getting to tap into. And then if I get something on the line, I can share it in a way that's efficient. And, you know, there's, it's not like, you know, I'm not, it's not a charity. It's, a, it, 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 it's able to generate enough steam to create a flame without having fuel, more fuel being added. I hope, I think I'm in a place to be able to do that. So the future is looking kind of interesting for the growth of Luna sandals in the world going forward and just trying to keep the, the U.S. 
we, we will always have a U.S. production facility and we're, we're going, it might just take longer or cost a little more, something like that or whatever, but we'll have all kind of our old favorites and certain models that people would love, but we'll also be able to start now getting our brand a chance to um, go to where people want it. And then ultimately, and this is where my introduction about the Bersuliami project and true messages Finally, I'll kind of have a company that's sort of like, I'm not having to like, you know, worry about whether the thing's going to be working or not. Yeah. And I'll be able to start doing more of the things that I kind of have always hoped to be able to do as being a uh, conduit to putting light on projects, ideas, and situations that I think will be beneficial to all people involved and, and all the stuff down in the Copper Canyons that I'm excited about. I can already tell every time anybody's gone down there, everybody who ever goes down there and has these kind of experiences with other people, these become, you know, markers and um, they kind of join a little family yeah. and it's a growing family, but it's still quite intimate. Not a lot of people yeah. uh, can make it down there, but it's been growing. There's a lot of Mexican nationals that are down there, people from all over the world. And there have been, matter of fact, in 2008, I drove down from California with a Kiwi who oh. name is Paul. He went and started the Rotorua uh, Ultra. And I went and ran on one of the inaugural versions of that. He and I drove down to the 2008 Copper Canyon. It was that back then known as the Copper Canyons Ultra Marathon. Yep. Ah, fascinating. Now you know. I didn't know that. That's pretty good. <laughs> no, I think I'd rather go to Copper Canyons than Leadville, to be honest. Uh, yes, I would say that's 100%. You know, um, I definitely think that's a bucket list. Anybody who's been um, positively influenced by the book Born to Run, I'm telling you right now, do yourself a favor and the people of the canyons a favor by going down there and celebrating with them during some of the events they do, because when that happens, what I've learned over the course of the last 15 years is that community benefits when visitors come in, in, who are respectful of their culture and are coming at it from this kind of position as we just talked about, more as equals who are coming there to pay homage rather than people who are coming in there to try to tell them what they need to do to be more like whatever, the we they happen to be is yeah no good good hey um ted i think i think we've probably um i've probably taken up that much of your time and i'll, I'll have i've enjoyed that. it i've totally enjoyed it work um oh, yeah 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 <laughs> so um thank you very much this has been awesome yeah totally i i thank you for uh, your persistence hunting capabilities to get me on your show are on the podcast. I oh. really, really was looking forward to it. And I, I'm, I think we, I think, I think your listeners will enjoy this little barefoot Ted uh, loses himself again. It's two weeks, two weeks in a row of sandals because last week we had a, uh, an Indian guy who runs in sandals. He ran oh yeah. Uh, Is he the dude? Yeah. I know that dude. Naresh Kumar. He, does he have the bike too? Yeah. That's the one. Yeah, that dude is, he's, he's golden, man. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's a, I haven't quite released that episode. It's going to come out tonight, probably, but you know. Oh, got it, got it. You. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right on. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, 
you know, um, uh, one other thing, uh, you think a couple weeks you might release this one or do you have yeah, a schedule yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah probably in, a, yeah, in about a week. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, I mean, uh, if you'd like, we can do, if you want to, I don't know. I didn't really pay attention. I mean, I like to, when I do a podcast is for your listeners or something, have some kind of way for them to get some kind of discount or something on Luna's if that appeals to you. But the truth is I'd much rather have a link over to that Versuliami project. We're going to try to raise, uh, uh, we're going to match funds up to $5,000 to try to for this month. And yeah. I think it's going to be, it's very achievable, but it, I mean, if that, if that inspires anybody, that'd be great. Okay. Well, I'll get, maybe you just email me the link and I'll add it to the, to the notes for the episode. That'd be awesome. We'll do it. Okay. Thank you. Well, very thank much. you very much, amigo. Yep. Adios for now. Yeah. If everybody had a nose across the USA, then everybody be served.